Greetings and welcome to episode 14 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, with a few shenanigans along the way. Today we will be interviewing retired Assistant Chief Gil Petty to talk about the making of the film Borderline, starring Charles Bronson. This film came out in 1980, and it's considered one of the more realistic portrayals of Border Patrol agents and the way the job was done in those days. The film received the support of the Border Patrol and the INS. Veteran agents served as technical advisors during the making of the film, including first and foremost the famous Ab Taylor, legendary PA and sign cutter, who retired from the patrol to work with the filming of the movie full-time. Lots of rumors and innuendos concerning this film. What's true? What's false? Well, come listen for yourself. Greetings and welcome to the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza, an agent out of San Clemente Station, San Diego Sector. Today, we are going to talk about the making of the movie Borderline with Charles Bronson, who plays the role of Jeb Maynard, the pack at the so-called La Mesa Station. The tagline of the movie was, Somewhere along a thousand miles of barbed wire border, the American dream has become a nightmare. It is considered one of the more realistic portrayals of U.S. Border Patrol agents and the way the job was done in those days. This film received the technical support of the United States Border Patrol and the United States Immigration and Naturalization Service. Veteran United States Border Patrol agents served as technical advisors during the making of the film. This includes, first and foremost, the famous Ab Taylor legendary PA and sign cutter who retired from the patrol to work with the filming of the movie full-time. In fact, in an article back in 2016, San Diego Sector had written they credited to him being the man who inspired the film. The Border Patrol uniforms, the firearms, the sign cutting techniques, and the vehicles featured in the film were all accurate. In fact, the film claims everything was absolutely accurate except Agent Jeb Maynard's undercover trip to Mexico, where he gets himself smuggled into the United States. <laughs> Unbeknownst to them and many other PAs, in the early 70s, Agent Hippolito Acosta was smuggled from Juarez to Chicago in an under undercover operation. And you can hear all about this amazing story exclusively on Episode 5 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. Now. According to director Gerald Friedman, actor Michael Douglas was set to produce the movie with Gene Hackman to play the part of Jeb Maynard. However, once the screenplay was finished, Hackman had made the decision to retire from acting, something that he did numerous times in his career. Once Bronson was asked to do it, Michael Douglas lost interest, claiming that he had no desire to make a Charlie Bronson movie. It was the first major film made on the topic of illegal border crossings, although it was shortly followed by another, The Border with Jack Nicholson. This one received no backing at all from the patrol due to them making the pack at the station one of the bad guy smugglers. So their badges, their patches, and insignias were all wrong. The filming of Borderline started in San Diego in December of 1979. 2,000 extras were used to play illegal aliens. Charles Bronson himself said, I didn't do the film entirely for altruistic reasons, but the issue does interest me. Here, here are uh, these people whose lives are simply caught up in politics. They almost live in the United States, and they are willing to do the work that Americans aren't willing to do, unquote. When I reached out to all our old patrollers about doing the podcast dedicated to making this movie, one person messaged me to offer his experiences and recollections of that time. Retired Assistant Chief Gil Petty out of Class 123. Come listen to his story. Good morning, sir, and welcome to the Old Patrol HQ podcast. Good morning, Gil. How you doing? This is Gil Petty calling from Missoula, Montana. It's good talking to you, sir. I'm doing just great. I know it's a sunny day there for you, and it is here in sunny California as well. Yeah, we love it when we get sun here, except uh, we worry about it getting too dry so we don't get too many forest fires, so. Yeah, yeah, hopefully not, hopefully not. So, um, you know, we're doing the series uh, uh, on the Old Patrol HQ podcast about the movie, the making of the movie Borderline, and a while back, 
you had reached out to me. You were on vacation somewhere, and you said, hey, when I get back, call me, and uh, we can talk about it because I was there. So it's my understanding that uh, you graduated out of class 123, and then you reported to the Chula Vista sector back when Jeb Maynard was still sector chief. Yeah, he was a tough chief, that guy. He's uh, <laughs> tough as they get. Charlie, Charlie Brosson was tough guy, Jevil Jeff. And, of course, we say that tongue-in-cheek because um, that in the movie, uh, Charles Bronson plays the main character, the sector chief there, for, when they used to be called Chula Vista Sector instead of San Diego Sector, correct? Yeah, that was uh, actually in the movie. He was the PAIC of the La Mesa Border Patrol Station. Ah, okay. And uh, the as a PAIC, he was uh, supposedly uh, playing the role of Ab Taylor, who was my PAIC of the Elkhorn Station. That was uh, that Jeff Bannard was supposed to be. Uh, the how it was when Ab Taylor was the PIC. In fact, Ab Taylor was the tactical advisor on that movie. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, I know that back in 2016, and I'm going to talk a lot about this more when I get my hands on it. But there's an article that was written by Sector, the San Diego Sector, talking about it was titled "The Agent Who Inspired a Movie," and um, they were they made the point that. Um, that uh, the movie was about basically the way things were when Ab Taylor, you know, was patterned after Ab Taylor and uh, when he was, uh, you know, the, the pack there. Yeah, Ab Taylor uh, was well known throughout the uh, area and perhaps the patrol in general because back then there was only about 2,000 agents nationwide. There weren't very many of agents. And, uh, and Ab Taylor was a super hard charger of an agent who worked his way up to uh, supervisor and then as a station supervisor, PAM patrol agent in charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he, he had quite a reputation, but uh, by the time I got there, uh, his wife had passed away from cancer. And so... And it was the twilight of his career. He was getting ready to retire. So he was, uh, you know, kind of uh, in the retirement mode. That was probably his last year of his, his career as, as I was a young agent. So when you, re when you reported there, you had told me that uh, that's when... Uh they, just before that, the writer of the uh, of the movie Borderline was was doing a lot of uh, ride-alongs and getting his information. Yeah, yeah. The writer came in either just before I entered the patrol or during the time I was at the academy. I was, I'm not real sure about that. Uh huh. But uh, but by the time I got back from the academy. They were all talking about the fact that the writer had been there and written with the guys and basically uh, uh, wanted to, you know, ask him questions, how things were done, and followed him around and whatnot. So they were. Uh, the movie then was just starting to get put together. Okay, so you you came in as a new trainee there in Chula Vista just when that all began. Yes. And uh, by 19, I came there in, uh, entered the patrol in 1978. So during that time, uh, the movie came out in 1980. Mm -hmm. So during that time, they were, they were making, they'd show up at different times at the station. And uh, <clears throat> they had technical people come into the Elkhorn station, take pictures of all the graphs and charts we had on the wall. As, as uh, you know, the amount of aliens that had entered and been arrested over different years, and there were different charts and uh, maps mm -hmm. of their area, and they took pictures of all that. And when they made the movie, they try, they those maps and charts you see on the wall were real Border Patrol uh, charts that they copied. Yeah, yeah, because it, 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 when you read about it on, you know, and Wikipedia is one of the few places that, said, that, that talks about it, not very many, 
but that says that it, that they received the technical support of the United States Border Patrol, and it says that uh, it was probably one of the most realistic portrayals of the way we did our, we did business in the Border Patrol. Yeah, that's that's correct. The Matt uh, Taylor talked about it a lot. Is how he tried to keep it real so that it would represent what we actually did. And it's pretty true to life during that time period. Uh, with the, you know, the whole movie covers pretty much the border, the way they crossed, the censors, uh, talks about a lot of things. And, uh, the, uh, North County San Diego at that time was full of huge tomato fields. And, and that's where the aliens were working up in those northern counties, picking tomatoes. Uh, lemons, oranges, all the fruit stuff that's grown in and around that area. And of course, some went north of that even, you know, up into the other areas of the United States. Yeah, you know, even today, working out of San Clemente, one of the areas along the freeway that we uh, that we use as a landmark is called the tomato fields. Yeah. Well, I'm familiar with those tomato fields. I've <laughs> been in and out of them a lot or when I was a young guy. Uh, all of those, uh, many of them are owned by uh, Japanese, the uh, Ukigawa brothers was one that comes to mind. And then, for the most part, they were pretty cooperative. They didn't like the fact we were taking their help, but they didn't really interfere with us. So we just did our job. And, and of course, when we pull in there, they'd run every different direction and, and get a few that we could catch, and then off we went. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the movie in that sense, um, but there was some sinister stuff going on, just like in the movie too. So it was the people that were moving them were not good people, and um, a lot of bad stuff happened on that border. A lot of bad stuff. So the movie is true to life when it depicts it that way. Yeah, it, it talks about the fact that the you know the uniforms. The firearms, even the and especially the sign cutting techniques, which is one of the featured parts of the movie that I like the most, right? Uh, and yeah, it, it, and, and that Taylor was a crack cracker in his day. He was oh, very yeah. good. <clears throat> we all know that yeah. even today. Yeah, our whole station were full of crackers back in those days, and uh, they could they were amazing. I, I, you know. I, I was happy to be part of that. I'm very uh, humbled working with some of the best crackers uh, this country ever had. Mm -hmm. and they, were, they could do amazing things. Yes, sir. So tell us about your initial, uh, you know, uh, how you, you know, how you found out and how you got involved in, uh, in the whole making of the film. Well, just being at the station uh -huh. and uh, the movie people showed up. And one of the things they wanted was our gear. Uh -huh. Of course, I was a trainee, they, but what they wanted was they wanted uh, they didn't want to have a movie with everybody wearing brand new hats and brand new leather gear. So they wanted the old salty look, and of course that the the PIC uh, character of of Maynard there with Charles Bronson. Uh, couldn't have a brand new hat on, so they came in and swapped out uh, anybody who was willing to give up their old hat for a new hat, and same with the leather gear and shirts and whatnot, they give you brand new stuff. So, <laughs> being a trainee, my stuff wasn't all that old, but I I went ahead and exchanged it anyway, <laughs> just to get brand new stuff. Heck yeah, why not? Yeah. So, anyway, that was one of the things they did. Uh, the other thing, uh, Ab would come in and he'd talk about the movie, and uh, like I said, he, he was right on the verge of retiring, so he's still working, and he was doing the movie uh, on his days off, and time off, and whatever, and uh, he'd tell us stories about, when he, one of the portions of the movie there where Charles Bronson gets into a gunfight with the the bad guy, played by Harris, Ed Harris, I think his name was. Yes, Ed Harris. And uh, he plays the Marine. And, of course, he has a full automatic weapon. And uh, 
Bronson takes him on with his uh, service revolver. Yes. And, and uh, Bronson wanted to shoot him double action mode. And, but he called it, he didn't call it double action, he called it, he said, I want to shoot him with the automatic mode, he said to Ab Taylor. And Ab Taylor said, that's not the automatic mode, that's the double action mode. And we in the Border Patrol don't shoot that way. We cock the hammer back and fire a well-aimed shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, they fought over it, and the, the producers made Bronson do it. So if you watch the, the movie, you'll see he fires one well-aimed shot, kills the bad guy. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this movie, right? It, it, that um, it puts uh, a, a, such a good spotlight on our firearms techniques on our sign cutting techniques on being able to you know i had heard stories of of pas including uh one of our premier when i was there one of our premier one of our best sign cutters you know tom johnson he uh he figured out the route of a dope load based on sign cut yeah well that was common and uh i worked with tom a lot tom was in two classes ahead of me he was in the 121st and I was in the 123rd, but what that meant was he was two weeks ahead of me. Yeah. So he got to the station back, he came back from the academy two weeks before I did. And uh, But but I worked with Tom, we got to be really good friends. And uh, uh, he, he was a heck of a good tracker, he worked hard at it. Yeah. But he, he, he was obsessed with it. Oh yeah, and, uh, oh yeah. Well, I remember. First of all, I've ha I've had the uh, the unmitigated honor of being called a peckerhead over the radio um, <laughs> when I was working with them. And uh, secondly, man, just you know, that man could could walk with a can of with, with with a thermos of coffee and a bag of freaking Oreos or whatever, and uh, and and walk all day long. Yeah. Oh, he was a tough old marine. He was a Vietnam veteran marine, and. Uh, one of the things funny in the movie, they had the actors uh, right along with us. Well, that Wilford Brimley ended up uh, riding with Tom Johnson. And uh, they tracked a group. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but it, it was somewhere uh, on the Otay Ranch behind that hospital, that the uh, hospital off Telegraph there and... Mm -hmm. and if you know where I'm talking about. I think so. Yeah, well, there's canyons back in there, what I'm calling canyons, they're more of a wash, dry wash. And uh, he took old Wilford Brimley through there at night. <laughs> and uh, they're cracking a group. And they went in and out of those uh, dry washes and up over the, through the brush. And Tom was like, you know, like a, a hound dog once he got on him. Right. And uh, I remember we're standing there at a uh, at Taylor's retirement. Wilford Burnley standing there, and he was talking about it. And he said, he says, as long as I live, the one name I will never forget is Tom Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he got quite a workout. <laughs> So, so first of all, Tom Johnson took Wilford Brimley on a on a hunt after aliens out in the canyons, yes. and then and they set, caught the group too. And they they he went fifteen with the group with Tom Johnson. Yes. Oh my gosh! That's yeah, he followed excellent. Him right behind him as Tom led him. And of course, that area was infested with rattlesnakes and everything else. You yeah. know. Yeah. And it was not uncommon to to run into a rattlesnake in the, in that area. <laughs> But um, another point you made, uh, now, um, Ab Taylor ended up retiring uh, during the, what was it, to become the technical advisor or during? Yeah, full time. Okay, so he could do that full time. Yes. And uh, and so Wilford Brimley was the one guy that came from the, the uh, movie that, that attended his uh, retirement. Ah. Okay. And he was, uh, it was quite the retirement. I can imagine. Uh, well, Ab was kind of a character back in those days. One of the things he did, he showed up to work. Now, this is when he was definitely getting close to retirement, so they really couldn't do much to him. <laughs> but he would show up to work with uh, regular 
boots and jeans on, and then a Border Patrol shirt with his badge on it and a hat, Border Patrol hat, and and uh, just his regular belt. And then he'd have like a thirty-eight strap to his to his belt, and that's how he he go up the sector like that, <laughs> grab some of the chiefs and hug them, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was something you didn't do. I mean, the, anyway, they they were they were. <laughs> Nobody ever did anything to them. They, they, uh, I don't think they liked it much, but they, did, they knew they couldn't do anything. He was getting ready to go. Well, that that's interesting too, because uh, you know Jeb Maynard, Charles Bronson's character, comes into work right sometimes half dressed or in his civvies, and he's in there conducting business, even in the beginning of the film, and just his leather. Ja- he's got his his border patrol jacket on with his uh, civvies underneath. Yeah. And that's what Ab did. That was that was right out of Ab Taylor playbook there in Abbott. Well, in fact, the way I met Ab Taylor is I got back to the station, and uh, I was doing uh, my uh, post-academy training, and we were coming back. We did that down at uh, the Chula Vista sector, and we were coming back, and I saw some aliens out in the field, and, uh, and I went after one, and, and there's a long story there. I ran into a rattlesnake in the deal, and I, in order to just say, I sprained my, my leg really bad. So I couldn't go to the field after that and until my leg healed. So I had a cast on my foot, and I became the house mouse, what they call the guy that hung around the station and did the paperwork and, you know, they gave a lot of little odds and end jobs. Well, I never met Ab Taylor, mm-hmm. and I was and I was working in the station there. And all of a sudden, one day, door opened up, and this guy comes walking in there with a big handlebar mustache and, and uh, civilian clothes, like he owned the place. And I walked over to him and I said, "Sir, can I help you?" And he goes, "Son." I don't think so. I am your PAIC. <laughs> I go, oh, I stopped your attention. Like, yes, sir. What can I do for you? That was the first time I met up <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it, it, again, it's so funny how he, um, he uh, you know, Charles Bronson channeled him through the movie because, you know, the Bruno Kirby's character, Jimmy Fante, comes in from New York, right? And he's this new nug, doesn't know a thing about the Southwest. And, Charles Bronson looks at him and says, "So I ask for extra help, and they send me you." He goes, "I guess you're good. At, you're you're as good as you know, eight or nine agents all at once, something to that effect." <laughs> That's the way it was. I mean, you didn't. There was no agents, and you got. I mean, what they got? Well, we were the first train. Uh, I Tom Johnson's group. There was one other group, but uh, the one eighteenth came in, and then and then. Uh, you know, that, we were the first batch of trainees they'd had there in a long, long time. So when my class came in, there was a class behind me. Uh, we got the we got the roster up to almost thirty agents, yeah. and and that was the biggest uh, bunch of people they'd ever had there in Nailcone Station. Wow. Wow. So you said also you that that a lot of the a lot of the uh, actors during that time did take ride-alongs with the exception of Charles Bronson, correct? Yeah, Charles, Charles Bronson's the only one that never came along on a ride-along that I knew about. Um, I'm sure if he had, I would have known about it because yeah. we'd all been talking about him. But at one point, we did get to meet him because they hired us as extras in the movie. And we went down, and, uh, down to the port and uh, played the role of onlookers and uh, some of the agents when uh, when the uh, character of, of I guess he was Scooter there played by Wilford Brimley gets killed yeah Scooter Scooter Jackson was it yeah Scooter Jackson he gets killed and they have a funeral and that funeral was uh show those were all agents real agents except for a couple of actors in there mm-hmm. but most of it you know, of course charles bronson but uh but most of the people you see in the background they're all real agents i am um, uh, I, re- I, 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 
I just excuse me. I was just going to add to that that um, some of the names that I got of people that were there at that scene, it was at the at the Rosecrans uh, funeral, Fort Rosecrans, and it was Rick Ball, uh, Tony Casio, Bill Kirkman were a few of the names that I got of, of of the agents that were there at that scene. Yeah, those guys were out of uh, Chula Vista. They, they they threw it open to the whole sector. Uh-huh. If anybody wanted to come and be extras, could be extra. The chief patrol agent actually read a eulogy there. Oh, okay. And that was all filmed, but Ab Taylor and him didn't get along, so Ab, Ab uh, told him to cut his part, and they did. They oh. cut his part clear out of there, which <laughs> didn't endear those, him with the chief. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of rumors and, and stuff that you hear about the movie. You know, I, I know that at one point, I remember hearing who had actually given Charles Bronson that sweaty hat. Um, but I don't remember who that was just yet. I'm hoping to find out eventually when I talk to some other guys. Well, it came, it came from our station, but I don't know who. It might have been Jim Burns. Okay. But I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I'm just guessing. Because he was one of the saltier old guys that, that always wore a hat like that. And there weren't that many of us that, uh, there weren't that many guys that wore a hat every day, like a like cowboy type hat. There was a couple. Yeah. Uh, of the older guys. And like most of us young guys, we either wore a baseball cap or no hat at all. You know, uh, one of the one of the best scenes in the movie, I think that a lot of us remember, is when Charles Bronson decides he's going to cut sign and and and, and track the, the group back to where it came from. And uh, in one of the scenes, uh, uh, you know, Bruno Kirby's character Jimmy Fanta says, "You know, what are we doing?" You know, and and uh, Charles Bronson says, "We're we're cutting sign." You know, the sign cutting near. You know, and he goes, "What's that?" And so he starts cutting that notch in his boot. Yeah, and then he does that famous line where he tells him he goes there was one time an agent that basically walked around in circles so uh, so much that eventually he walked up his own ass and nobody ever saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a real uh, that was a real joke that the journeyman used to tell on, and, and that was one of the things they did. But most of us wore uh, old uh, army combat boots. Yeah. That had the running W on them, and uh, because they were cheap to get, and they satisfied the uh, requirements of the uniform, mm-hmm. and so uh, we cut notches in them. Oh, even though the running W, but was kind of by itself. When you saw that, you you pretty much assumed it was an agent. But we cut notches in the heel. Yeah, and uh, one of the ways that's we go to some of the. The places in the road where aliens would cross regularly, and to start the shift, we we get there and we walk out all our side, stomp it out with our boots, and you can see the heel marks, so you know an agent did it. And then we come by later on and see if anybody went over our tracks, and we know that within you know a certain time that group crossed crossed through there. We, that was an easy way to tell if, uh, if the sign was real fresh or not. Yeah, and uh, and and so yeah, so in the movie he does cut a notch in his boot. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 true to life. Yeah. The other thing you'll notice is Charles Bronson's got a stick in there. It was called a cracking stick. Yeah. And and the way that works is uh, they had rubber bands on them. Sometimes some of the guys would just pick up an old stick and carve it and paint it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and some would buy, a, you know, a walking stick like that. What they do is they put rubber bands on them. And when you first find it, if you had a single alien, say it was a criminal you wanted to get, and you knew he was a criminal and you're tracking him, you could take those bands and you would mark his gate. In other words, how far... He would step. Everybody's, you know, depending on the on the length of your legs, everybody steps a certain distance. Yes. And and sometimes if you get into an area that was hard to track, so all you're getting is scuff marks. You put that bottom rubber band on that scuff mark, and you could swing that 
stick around and what you do is look for a scuff mark at the end of the other rubber band showing about where his gate would be. So it, it helped you find sign in areas that were hard to track in, like uh, real tough, hard dirt, hard packed soil, or maybe even gravelly uh, areas. Yeah, you know what? I had never heard that before, but that's amazing how much of a science tracking, uh, sign cutting is, isn't it? Yes, they, there, I can tell you a lot of stories about tracking and uh, search and rescue and uh, all kinds of stuff where uh, even uh, during the, the years when right after uh, the Delta Force was uh, started up during the uh, time they took over our embassy in Iran. Well, those Delta Force people were training out there, and some of our agents, some of our better trackers, tracked a group of Delta Force down one time, thinking of the you know they they got on one of our southern trails coming in, uh -huh. and uh, they're, they're they were supposed to get into a, a small rural town out there and hide and not be seen. <laughs> but what happened was is they accidentally cripped one of our sensors and the agents went out some good trackers went out there and cracked them down <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden they, they walked right into the middle of this unit Delta Force these guys popped out of the brush with their uh, the, uh, camel camouflage uniforms with machine guns yeah. on agents didn't know what to make of that and there was a captain there, he was all upset. He goes, how the hell did you guys find us? <laughs> and, and the agent said, well, we tracked you down. And, and so then they wanted to know how we did that. So we, we would teach them how to track so that they could counter it. You know, they, would, they knew what we were looking at, so they would try to hide it from, from the enemy in a foreign country. That is amazing. For, for, you know, we talked earlier how the Border Patrol actually initially trained the Shadow Wolves, right? That famous organization, that famous uh, unit out of uh, customs. And now we can add to our resume that we actually tracked down Delta Force. We tracked down Delta Force first time. <laughs> and then after that, we had Delta Force, we had SEALs, we had special forces of all kinds come out there. And we would take them out, put on tracking. And, and I loved working with those guys because, you know, we also trained search and rescue. But, but you, when you got a bunch of civilians out there, out in the desert, they would, you know, whine and cry because it was hot and this and that. But those Delta Force people, the Special Force military, they were gung-ho. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were into it. And we'd show them, you know, how you could even track on going across rocks and, uh, Brian Shea and Terry Hutt were Julian agents, or two of them up there. They're the ones that did that. They're the ones that tracked down the Delta Force. <laughs> and they were they were two uh, agents assigned to the Julian area up in the Laguna Mountains there, and they were that was a uh, outstation for the Elkhorn Station. Wow, that you know, just when I thought I couldn't love the Border Patrol more, you know, I mean, that's some great stuff. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, I was proud to be an agent. I was proud to work yeah. with guy. I worked with Brian. Uh, he was the main uh, guy putting on the, the the tracking classes for the military, and I, I got to go up there and work as his assistant a couple of times. I was very honored to do that. And uh, the other thing is, is those two guys and Jim Burns put their heads together, and they're the ones that created the original tracking program, where uh, where they actually put into words what a tracker sees and 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 uh, the science behind it. It was uh -huh. very very good. Those guys really nailed it. That's that's just amazing. That's just amazing. Well, you know, also in um in doing the research for this movie, one thing that seems to be unanimous around, across the board is that Charles Bronson wasn't all that friendly of a person to 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 work with and be around. <laughs> he wasn't. He, he in fact um, during when we were extras, our wives, Border Patrol wives, got to be involved in the extras deal and 
And he was sitting there. Uh, he had his motorhome that he stayed in down there by the port, and he was sitting out there. And uh, and so the wives wanted to go up and take a picture with him, and he would not cooperate. Oh. He told them, well, if you want to stand there somewhere close to me and have somebody snap your picture, that's okay, but I'm not going to pose with you. And uh, the women were not happy about that. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Is it true that uh, one of them uh, asked for an autograph, and uh, what happened there? He, he refused. Ah, he said he usually and, gets paid for that, right? Yeah, he, he, uh, he, I don't know what, uh, I thought maybe it was because of friction between him and Ab Taylor. I didn't know what the reason was, but uh, I think you were the one that enlightened me that he might not have been happy with the fact that we were arresting immigrants. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if he had come with us, he would have seen how well we treat him. I mean, yeah. you know, the Border Patrol guys, we fed them. In fact, when I was a young guy, I would a lot of times take money out of my own pocket oh, yeah. to feed them if they were hungry, you know. And uh, it's one of the older guys grabbed me off of the side and he says, listen, he says, you're not going to be able to feed all these people. You just you just don't have enough money. He says, but here's what you do. He says, search them down. He says, one or two of the guys, the smugglers, will have their money. He says, what you do is you get that guy, you get his money, because he's the one they're all giving their money to. Mm -hmm. And and what we do then is we take a couple of the women and give them the money, and we'd stop by a 7-Eleven or something like that. we let them go in with that money and buy food for all the people and usually bread and honey and maybe some milk or or cokes or whatever and bring it back to them yeah and and that way they all got fed and we used the money the smugglers money to feed them yeah which was only justice in my uh, mind agreed agreed but there was also there was many times when i would be driving somebody that I, we had to either process back at the station from the field, and I could tell they were starving. And ah, you stop by 7-Eleven, you pick up a couple of hot dogs or whatever, you know. So yeah, I think all of us can can say that uh, you know we have done something like that throughout our career. Sure, sure. Well, I mean that's only being human. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Now also another rumor that used to go around is that uh, Charles Bronson was already drunk by about 10 o'clock in the morning. You know. I think I heard Ab Taylor say that, but uh, I never, I didn't, I wasn't around him that much, just, uh, the only time I was even around him was when we did the extra mm -hmm. part there, and that was in the morning, but uh, they paid us $50 for being extra each, uh, okay. for being extras, and so we all took the money, and Ab Taylor and all of us went over to a bar there in uh, Imperial Beach. And uh, we celebrated after the after we were done doing the extra stuff for the day. <laughs> and Ed Taylor punched some guy in there that was uh, mouthing off to his girlfriend and knocked him back out the door. And then he came charging back through the door, and the bouncers grabbed him. Somebody else punched him again, threw him back out. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that a, <laughs> that's true border patrol gold right there yeah. oh man now you said also that um you had um you had played a part and your wife in the movie as well yeah we were we were assigned this little yellow volkswagen and we were sitting in the volkswagen and uh there was a car that was right at the port and that and um there was, uh, they had a person hiding in the engine compartment, uh -huh. which happened to be Ab Taylor's maid. And uh, she had makeup on to, to make her face look like it was burned real bad. And mm -hmm. then in the movie, you hear her screaming. And uh, as, as a person being hidden in the engine compartment of a car that overheats, uh -huh. and, and then you see all the steam coming up and they open the engine and pull her out of there and her face is all burned from the steam from the, you know, hot, hot, uh, engine, and, uh, we're in the Volkswagen, we're supposed to get out, and, uh, gawk is mm -hmm. somebody that's surprised by it, but 
they cut that part out. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you don't. If you, after, if you blink, you miss that little yellow Volkswagen sitting there. Well, you know, I have I have the film in, on actual on a file, and I'm gonna go through like literally frame by frame and try to find a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. You know, the the scene at the funeral and uh, the scenes at the, initially at the station where I, I guess Ab Taylor did have a cameo, didn't he? He had a what? He he had a he had he was in one of the scenes. Yeah, he he's in the part there where uh, they're waiting for the smugglers to come back to the uh, barn. Uh huh. And uh, and actually, he says uh, Charles Bronson says his name. Ab, go ahead, Ab. No, no, I, I take that back. He comes on the radio and he, he's talking to Charles Bronson. He goes. Jeb, this is Ab. He uses his real name. And that, he wasn't supposed to do that, but they left that in the movie. No kidding. So, so you hear the radio say, Jeb, this is Ab. They're coming back or something to that effect. And then you see him standing there by the door. And he's, he's in that part where they're, uh, they're, they're grabbing him as they're coming in different vehicles. Oh, man, I'm going to I'm gonna have to find that scene. And then, uh, oh, there's one other scene that I wanted to tell you. Oh, the end scene where the bad guy, where they're at the, with the where they're going to, they're coming out of the courthouse, which is not really the courthouse. That was uh, downtown uh, San Diego at City Hall. Uh-huh. And uh, the chief is the guy that's handcuffed to the bad guy, or is, that's bringing him out. That's, that was the chief patrol agent at the time and I can't even remember his name anymore. Well but, it wasn't uh, Tom was it wasn't Tom long. Gaines, was it? What's that? Was it Tom Gaines? No, Tom Gaines was an assistant chief. Okay. And uh this, the the chief was that was, you know what? I, that might have been Tommy Gaines assistant chief that's handcuffed to him. Cause I got I got yeah. I, I got a little bit of a of, of a, the word that Roger Hedgecock was in the scene and also the San Di uh, yeah the, Roger Hedgecock the San Diego mayor and uh, yeah yeah San Diego mayor's in there which we're all laughing about when we watched that movie we we got the premiere of the movie before it actually came out to the public released to the public no kidding what was the reaction yeah. it was down there they let us it was. It was down in a theater down by the stadium, San Diego Stadium, and we all got to go down there. The whole, all the Border Patrol people uh, went in there and watched the movie before it was released, actually opened to the public. And what what was the reaction? Oh, we loved it. <laughs> we loved it. Yeah, we, it was a good time. Yeah, you know, out of all the movies that were made, and there's a few good ones, right? Flashpoint with Christopherson. We, we, we talked about that. I mean, ultimately, yeah. the only thing that made the movie suck was uh, Chris Christopherson and his beard. Otherwise, who knew, yeah. right? Who knew that what would happen now? Yeah, that actually, you know, was kind of a food for thought type deal where he, he discovers the second shooter. That was always a conspiracy theory thing where there was, second shooter involved in the Kennedy yeah, assassination. That's a great story. Yeah, it is a great story. And very uh, much in line with the conspiracy theories that would circulate. And uh, the other one was that Jack Christopherson. Yeah, uh, Jack Jack Nicholson in, in the, Jack in Nicholson. the border. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently yeah, that Jack one was filmed yeah. just a little bit later. They did not cooperate with that. Border Patrol did not cooperate with that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I can yeah. You can see the patches and uh, you know and a lot of the different stuff. The 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 the, uh, the badge. Yeah, all that was 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 off. But uh, well, they uh, they didn't. The Border Patrol didn't like the fact that in that movie uh, some some of the assistant chiefs are smugglers. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the pack of the station is a, was a smuggler. Yeah, played by um, the right. great actor. What's his name? Um, I can't think offhand, but yeah, I can't either. But yeah, but he was a great. He's a really good actor. To my knowledge, that has never happened. Anything like anything close to that, except I I do know of a customs agent who was a border patrol agent and then became a customs agent who did get on the take but they put him in jail for that they, he actually took off and left the country and they tracked him down brought him back and put him in jail 
Yeah. Oh, it was Warren Oates was the one that played uh, that, that played the pack there in uh, in, in that yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah, you can see. I mean, uh, unfortunately, but it's funny you should mention that uh, something about just something that never happened, right? Because one of the things that they say in the in in the information for Borderline is that um, it says it says uh, the movie. Let's see. Excuse me. Um, it's probably one of the most realistic portrayals of U.S. Border Patrol agents, with the exception of uh, Agent Maynard's undercover trip to Mexico. Right. I don't think they knew at the time, and probably who, knew, and I, I never even knew until now that in the early seventies, Hipólito uh, uh, Acosta was a special agent, right? Uh, for uh, was smuggled from Juarez to Chicago in an undercover op. I didn't know that either, but yeah. um, I did know that ASU went down there a lot mm -hmm. during that time period. Yeah, uh, ASU uh, crossed over the border a lot. In fact. One of our supervisors, uh, uh, Danny Ellsworth, he became a DSU guy out of El Centro, or maybe it was Yuma. I can't remember. No, I think it was Yuma. Anyway, he he actually told us he went across, not as a undercover, but he went, went across and worked with the Mexican police, Mexican federales, mm -hmm. and smuggling cases. Well, I, and you can ask Larry Harlan that he was a he was a uh, ASU, and uh, yeah. he he may have gone across. I don't know. I don't know if he has not. Well, if uh, if they if they listen to this podcast, I want to put them on notice that Larry Harlan and uh, Tom Gaines. Uh, I'm hunting. I'm trying to hunt them down for to get their uh, their version of this of, of you know what went on during that time, but also. You can listen to Hipólito Acosta's account of that of that smuggling event that he did. Uh, That's in, interesting. In, yeah, in a, in a episode five of our podcast, and also he's put a few books out. You know, and uh, we're gonna we just did the first part of his of his um, interview in this uh, in episode five of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'll be done. Well, Larry would know. Uh, he he was one heck of an ASU guy. I worked with him. I helped him clean up some, you know, we helped him clean up some cases, make arrests, we helped him process the stuff mm -hmm. on some of his stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, anyway, uh, oh, you mentioned Tommy Gaines? Yeah. I <laughs> Tommy Gaines was an A-chief when uh, I came into patrol, and when I first got there, he was the head of the academy. He was the acting chief at the academy. I'll never forget. He <laughs> picked us up at the airport, and I hadn't had any sleep. And he's giving us a, a tour, and I'm, I'm sitting in the back of this van that he's driving, and he's talking, showing us around. And I kept falling asleep and banging my head against the window. Every time I banged my head, I, my eyes would pop open, and I'd look at him. He's looking, staring at me in the mirror. <laughs> but I also worked with Tommy. He liked our station because we were a bunch of hard chargers, and uh, we weren't afraid to get our uniform dirty. And so he was leading us around one time we were up working North County up there by uh, this uh, <clears throat> car up there by San Clemente. Mm hmm and uh, we're driving along the road, and all of a sudden Tommy was leading the charge. We're doing what we call the Great Snake, where all the Border Patrol vehicles are all lined up in a long column. And we're going down the road, following Tommy in the lead vehicle. All of a sudden he turned and went right through a barbed wire fence and out into this field that was it was celery. And all these aliens were out there in the field working. And then they saw him do that, they all started running, and he went after them. Uh, he drove right across all these sprinkler systems. He just one right after another, just curtain. We followed him. <laughs> and we crushed all these guys' sprinkler pipes and everything. And he was one mad farmer. And Tommy just pulls out a, a damage form, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says, here. File this with the government to be reimbursed. Oh, man. <laughs> and we drove off. <laughs> that was Tommy. Oh, I don't think he got in trouble for that either. I don't know. 
Yeah, you, you can't get in trouble for it now, that's for sure. He's retired. <laughs> yeah. uh, I saw him at a funeral of a really good friend, mutual friend of ours, about two years ago. And uh, Tommy was there, and I hadn't seen him a long time. He, uh, I didn't hardly recognize him. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, any anything I might have missed or might have not asked about as far as details of the movie or anything else you saw during I, the filming? I think you pretty well covered it. That was uh, a, a privileged time for me. I, yeah. Really, uh, something to look back on. I, I have that movie somewhere around the house. Got the video. Yeah, I um, I, I a long time ago. I don't know how um, I ended up getting it recorded. Then I put it on. I had it on my computer as a file. I put it on a DVD, and then I ended up finding it somewhere recently, uh, where I bought the DVD from it. So it's available places, but you got to hunt it down a little bit. It's not readily available. Yeah, and I well, think though, <laughs> yes, it is. And I think though now that it's, I mean, it might be on Prime, as as far oh, really? as you could. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think you can just go right on Prime and get it. And uh. Since then, there's been a few movies made that are pretty decent, but I don't think that uh, since that movie, we haven't seen a movie quite that that one. You know, it honors the uh, the sign cut, the art of sign cutting. It honors the our firearms abilities. It honors our dedication to the job and the and the guts and the grit and everything else that it takes to do this job. You know, and then and it also honors the humor that you know that seems. It, there's a, there's morbid humor that's unique to law enforcement, but then there's humor that's unique to our agency as well, don't you think? Yeah, and that's what kept us going. We were uh, we sometimes we get called in to do a special project in the middle of the night. They say, okay, you're going to come back, you know. We but our station, uh, the guys would always get in there, and we were always joking and yucking it up, you know. And, uh, and we're always happy to be there. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and agents, I found that true throughout most of the patrol as I went around. The agents are, were always uh, happy to do the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was, so, it was so much fun. It was. Because you never <laughs> In knew. In fact, I used to text myself, let's talk about that. I can't believe we're being paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I'm, I'm closing down my career here this coming March, and a lot of people were like, you know, you, you've already, you've been eligible to retire for a long time now. Why don't you pull the plug? I'm like, I am. Nobody's gonna pay me to do what I do. This kind of money to do what I do at my age, and uh, there's still it's the best damn job we ever had. You know. The higher up I got, I, when I was an agent, I always thought an assistant chief, those guys knew everything, you know, they yeah. had to, but the higher up I got, I found, <laughs> I found out that, that it wasn't quite the way I thought it would be, mm -hmm. so the best job was being the agent. Uh, I heard that a lot. The higher up you got, the more response, you got higher pay, but you got more responsibility and more stress. And, and the job, once I got behind the desk where I or pushing paper, uh, basically what I tried to do was remember that as, as a boss, my job, those people didn't work for me. I worked for them. I was there mm. to support them. Man. That's what I always tried to remember, remind myself that. Oh, that's, a, that's a good feeling to know when you know uh, that that management has got your back. And, you know, and, and the thing about it is... And we're going to get you and I are going to get into this when we do your podcast, your interview is that, you know, you you uh, went through and you uh, became a supervisor. You became assistant, a pack in Albuquerque. You became an assistant chief eventually uh, in El Paso and then in Haver, Montana is where you retired as an assistant chief. Right. So, you know, you know, your way around the Border Patrol from top to bottom, beginning to end. And now, you know, and that was... Uh, there were a lot of guys that came up from different places. They they didn't spend enough time in the field, I thought, and they they get them promoted up. And you know, their answer to everything was always, uh, "Here's another form to fill out. You know, we'll get this information by another form." And a couple of times, I stopped that. I said, "No, no, we're not going to. Those agents have enough to do." Mm -hmm. I said, "Just doing the job." I said, and then you load them down with paperwork. I said, 
I said, just let the guys do their job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I love that sentiment. I love that feeling. I love, I don't mind showing up at a, at a station and, you know, just, uh, I'll, I'll do the job as hard as I can, but when somebody kind of, you know, does those things, a little pat on the back, a little, you know, hey, you know what, Gil, you worked all these hours, you know, take off, whatever. Think little things like that really do motivate you. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you something. When I was in charge of Albuquerque Station, something I did accidentally that was kind of funny is, <laughs> is uh, I, I put all the agents' names up on the board. It started out as a joke. I put all their names up, and whenever they did something good, I put a star up there <laughs> and by their name, and then it, it went all, and it, it was jokingly, you know, okay, yeah, like you know, first grader gets, gets a little <laughs> star, gold star for the day, yeah. and, and if they did something I wasn't happy about, I put an unhappy, you know, a, a round face with a frown on it, well, that became a big deal. <laughs> and if I put a frown on somebody up there, they were, they'd get upset. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was, it worked. I mean, those guys worked their butts off to get the, get the star. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> because it showed everybody what a good agent they were, you know. But, but I thought they were all good agents. But yes. once in a while, one of them would do something I wasn't happy about. Yeah. So I put a frown up there, man. They they would like come right into my office and try to argue that <laughs> frown off that board. <laughs> they literally wanted to, to 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 get you to uh, to talk you into getting that off the board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they talk good enough, I take it off the board. Uh, well, see, that I, I love that. I, I love hearing that. That's just great. The other thing I did to them as an agent, as a PIC. Is, is I left my, I never, I never locked my door. I always left my office open. I tell them, I'm going to go lock the door. And, and I have files on them. But I said, you know, if you want to see what's on your file, you know, they're, they're in there, you go look at them. As I, I, said, I said, I'm never going to do anything behind your back. If I come after you, it's going to be to your face. Mm. But once in a while, I catch them in there snooping, you know. Yeah. So what I would do, is write their name down on a piece of paper and set it by my phone. <laughs> and then, and then they, you know, that's how I could tell if they were snooping, you know. Yeah. they come in there and they'd want to know who I was talking to or if they're, are they in trouble? <laughs> they're, they're, why is their name written down on my, on my desk? I go, oh, you're snooping on my desk, huh? <laughs> and then I'd tell them, I just put it there to see if you're snipping all my day. Now, I don't know if they believe me or not, but anyway, <laughs> it got them paranoid when I did that. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, sir, um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Reach First of all, that you reached out when I put the word out about this movie. You have uh, just really enhanced the experience. Now, when I go back and I watch this movie again, which I do, I kind of have to watch it at least once or twice a month just for, just to, you know, for the heck of it. But now I'm going to go through and pay attention to all these little details. Try to find pictures of the details you mentioned and put them up on uh, put them on the Old Patrol HQ page. But man, I really appreciate you know you giving us all this great great insight on the making of the movie Borderline. Okay, well you're welcome. And notice uh, that tracking stick he's holding on to there. Yeah, I, I, you know I had and I completely forgot to ask you about it, so I'm so glad you brought that one up because yeah, that was interesting too. I had never seen, I don't think I ever seen anybody using a stick when I came in back in '96, which you know was not that long ago, but I hadn't seen. Well, it. Some of the old guys, old timers, will talk about it. Yeah, and that, that that was a thing they designed. I uh, I never did either. Some of the guys I tracked with rarely used it, but Al Taylor did. Al Taylor carried one religiously. Mm. Yeah, and and it, they definitely was the uh, the role model as far as that goes. And once I get that article, I want to see what they wrote about him as well. There's a lot of great stories out there, and I hope to get around to all of them eventually. Okay. Well, sir, again, thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. This concludes our interview with retired Assistant Chief Gil Petty out of Class 123. 
What an amazing interview with lots of new facts and details I had never heard before concerning the making of the movie Borderline. It sure makes watching this great classic so much better. Come browse through our Old Patrol HQ store at oldpatrolhq.bigcartel.com for some amazing products that you can wear proudly honoring the history, heritage, and legacy of the patrol with a few shenanigans along the way. If you listen to our Apple on Apple or Google Podcasts, please give us a short but raving review and five stars so we can climb up the corporate food chain. Ain't no patrol like the old patrol. Honor first. Honor always. <laughs>